What's different about this is that we are in it. We're not we're not going someplace to take care of others, right? We've got a safe home. We've got a place where we can have a respite and and gather our you know our senses. It's normal. It's okay. We don't have that. We are in it. I think maybe that no one has the answers, but uh, but that but hope grows in these tiny tiny little places, and healing grows in these tiny tiny little places. So it doesn't have to be a grand gesture, and even maybe trying a laughing circle just by yourself could become fun. I don't know. You know what I mean? Look at yourself in a mirror or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to try it out. I'll get back to you. (laughs) We are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain. And I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. Today we have the Oh, so fun opportunity to spend some time with our dear colleague and friend, Dr. Christy Sprouls. Um, Christy is a brilliant, y'all, brilliant psychologist who practices in Austin, Texas. Um, She is an EMDR therapist, uh, clinician, and trainer. Um, She has consulted with our team um, and is a therapist, coach, and oh, so much more. That woman um, has more entrepreneurial ideas than I think I have in my little pinky. And so um, we're just, we're so excited to to have her on um, with us today to chat. Yeah. I met Christy um, during my EMDR basic training um, and then later introduced her to you, Kimberly. Uh, years later, we had her come in monthly uh, to do EMDR consultation with our team. So, you know, one of the things about our team at Aspen House is we're all trained in EMDR and use that in a variety of ways with a variety of specialties. And so we actually did team consultation with just our AHA team and would have Christy come in and help us uh, with a variety of cases. Um, and we benefited so much from her wisdom and her creativity. It's one of my favorite things about her. She is incredibly creative in her clinical work and her coaching. And then we've just stayed in touch ever since um, and continue to find ways, as many ways as we can, to consult with her and work on projects together, which some of those will be launching in the future. I'm very excited about that. One of the things that stands out in my memory uh, is her explaining how EMDR helps mitigate uh, clinical burnout. And that's something that we know about in the field. And so her work gives unique Uh, Her work uh, gives her kind of this unique perspective and equipping to speak to this area of burnout and in light of us starting to round the corner of a year into this pandemic as helpers. We have asked her to join us on the podcast today to talk about um, helper burnout, basically. And, and, And while we are the three of us are speaking from kind of a clinical mental health perspective. Like this really does apply to a variety of helpers, um, helping fields and, and what it has been like to carry others in a variety of ways, uh, this past year. 
I am so excited today uh, to be um, interviewing, chatting with, dialoguing with uh, one of my favorite people. Um, I got to know uh, Dr. Christy Sprouls. Let's see. Uh, this I was still an intern, uh, licensure, provisionally licensed in the state of Texas, and uh, just champing at the bits to get resources and tools and training to be um, a better therapist. And actually, Kimberly had gotten trained in EMDR. We were both at the same uh, trauma agency at the time. And her and maybe one or two others had gotten trained. And honestly, I thought it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard of. And But I continued to watch <laughs> their clients grow and heal and get um, better. And so I got really interested. So Christy um, was one of the people who trained me originally and then has turned into our practice's main consultant for EMDR. So you have just become one of my most favorite people over the world, uh, over time um, in the world. And so I am so excited that you are here with us today. Thank you so much. It's it's such a pleasure, first of all, just to be with you. You know, I feel the same way. You guys are some of my favorite people. And I feel like I just loved working every minute and still love working any minutes that I can to be together. It's, you guys are wonderful. You're extremely conscientious therapists and you know the model extremely well. And what I like to say too, uh, is that not only do you know the model, but now you get to play with the model. And each time you're doing something, it's creative and new and really fantastic. So, yeah. so you've yeah. taught us to be creative. So thank you. You're thank so you. Welcome. Okay, Christy, I, I always enjoy when people tell their own story a little bit. So can you share a little bit about yourself with our audience, introduce yourself? You have such an incredible resume. We want you to highlight the parts that are most important to you. Okay. So I like to tell my story and it's, it may be a little bit long, but I started off becoming a bilingual therapist and I knew that I wanted to travel all over the world and do trainings as a psychologist, right? I knew that and I'd tell people and they would laugh at me. And one day I was with Carol York and we were at Harvard. We decided that we wanted to talk to Shapiro. So we took uh, Dr. Francine Shapiro to lunch. I told her I had grown up, my father was in the foreign service and his job was to find food for starving people abroad and to get it to, into their hands and into their mouths and their, their very hungry bellies. What I, so I witnessed doing humanitarian work, I mean, really from the get-go of my life. I was about two years old when dad went into the foreign service. And I traveled everywhere, Africa, Asia, South America, Central America, and I still have the travel bug. I told Shapiro that and that I wanted very much to do humanitarian work, that I felt like that was my mission. She goes, well, fantastic. You can become one of the first trainers for the humanitarian assistance program. And I was like, perfect. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. You know, oh, um, anyway, so that was a whole lot of fun. And that I have never looked back. I have been so rewarded by EMDR. And I know we're here to be talking about compassion fatigue or burnout. But EMDR can work for that, too. And it's been, anyway, just an immense pleasure. My goal, Shapiro's goal, was to get it to the whole wide world and to train people well how to use it so that as we are getting longer in the tooth ourselves, and some of us are passing, 
um, that we want you guys to be the next generation that that does this. And uh, so there you have it. That's about who I am. Oh, I'm also a psychologist in Austin, Texas. I have my own private practice. <laughs> and I train, I train people to do EMDR uh, internationally. Okay, there you go. She is the master trainer, in our opinion, for EMDR. We, we, are, we are sending people your way as we speak. So, Thank you so uh, much. new team members. Yes. Thank you. Well, Christy, we could have asked you on the podcast to talk about a million different topics, the application of EMDR to you name it, because you are, you're brilliant. The work that you're doing is brilliant. And we know that you also have lots of other avenues um, of professional expertise and wisdom and to share the world or to share with the world. But today we wanted to talk about um, helper burnout. Um the last year has seen global and local crises beyond, I think, anyone's capacity. And, um, you know, as the three of us are EMDR therapists, I know that we're seeing colleagues, clients, family members, friends, just nervous systems are, are, are beat up, um, are shot from the last year. And then what continues to be, we all are all, all from the, the state of Texas who has recently seen crisis of its own and will for some time. Um, so this has led to people reaching out for help, support, guidance. I mean, and that may be physical, emotional, relational, it may be counselors, it may be physicians, it may be yoga therapists, it may be EMDR therapists. Um, and so it's at an all-time high, and it's creating, I think, a wave of crisis, not only for our local and global communities, but then for those who are the helpers. And that's what we wanted yes. to spend some time focusing on today was the helpers helping in this context. And this, I think we, we will use the words that, that are in the vernacular, you know, mm -hmm. compassion, fatigue, burnout, stress, those sorts of things. Um, but I also keep wondering if a new word's going to come from all of this because it's almost like some of them reach at what's happening and then some of them don't quite. And so we would like to just have a dialogue about your understanding, our experience, your experience, and kind of what you're seeing um, with this wave of burnout, compassion fatigue, yeah. um, and and your thoughts how, how, what you're seeing, what, what you would say you understand to see happening, um, knowing that you were probably in the middle of all this too, because you're in the same said crises and um, a helper in that. That is exactly true. And I honestly, it's a very interesting place to be because I think this is very different than the type of work that I've had to do before. First of all, it's kind of a collective situation right where everyone is going through their own compassion fatigue or if you want to call it burnout or if you want to call it you know secondary traumatic stress it it it, 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 it attacks us it's spiritual it's physical emotional and it's an exhaustion right people are just exhausted people are having to stay home we know all of this take care of their babies take care of the elderly take care i mean it's like everybody is holding up the world as much as possible and then to be a therapist in all of this you know, um, you're burdened. We, of course, we gladly take that burden on. And I think that that is our passion. But at the same time, in this world, in this new world, in this COVID world, in this Texas catastrophe world, it's just a lot. 
It's just yeah. a lot. And, and I hear everyone talking about it, not myself, my clients, people who I work with who are therapists. And, and I've had the privilege actually of working also with and creating a network nationally for people to be working with frontliners too. And I was just really taken aback at a couple of things. Um, one is, is that, well, it's changing us, but just the pain, I couldn't just sit by and watch, you know, at first I was thinking only of them. And now, you know, I'm along with this compassion fatigue myself. And so then what do we do for ourselves? But I know that's the gist, but what I was really touched by and, you know, moved to make me get something rolling was that these people were, first of all, putting themselves at risk every day. They were overworked, exhausted, and not able to be with their families because they had to quarantine. They would live outside in the mobile home or they would have to go somewhere else. And just the pain of all of that is, I mean, really heart-wrenching, I think, for mm-hmm. everyone. And then the difference between this and what I have typically seen for compassion fatigue or, again, burnout, um, is that well, we, it's a it's a downward spiral that we get caught in. We're really not paying a whole lot of attention. It starts to sort of stick on us. We, mm-hmm. we go as we're going down that that tunnel. We're working harder, thinking we've got to help more people. We've got to do all of these things. We're thinking about others, and we forget about ourselves for two reasons. I think one is that it is easier to take care of somebody else than to stop and feel your own emotions, and and then. The other one is, is that there's so much need, there's so much demand, and we feel compelled to be the people to do that work for them, right? Because we have something we know mm-hmm. we are that we can really help, and we can, you guys, we really can. So uh, I wanted to say that, and then the other difference with this, and I think that was your question, and if it wasn't, I'll get around to the answer. You can ask, <laughs> you can ask me again. Um but this time, this was a different. So I go to all man-made disasters like, you know, shootings, like, you know, Las Vegas. I go to earthquakes and tsunamis. What's different about this is that we are in it. We're not, we're not going someplace to take care of others, right? We've got a yeah. safe home. We've got a place where we can have a respite and, and gather our, you know, our senses. It's normal. It's okay. We don't have that. We are in it with everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's, what's really different about this COVID. I, I, I love that you're one kind of breaking down the concept of how we have typically thought about helper burnout, compassion, fatigue, lots of words, that bucket, yeah. but also the nuance of how it is different. Um, you know, one of the, the things that I, I, I heard you say just now that stuck with me is that we sort of catch it but we're not actually in it in the classic model, but now we are in it and, and there is no place to escape it um, in theory. And, and I don't know if we know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. I think, I think we are in a, and I hate this word now, but this unprecedented experience as mental health professionals. And I would say that that's probably still pretty true for all the other helper professions, but I'm thinking out loud in comparison here a little bit. Um, and we're, we're, we're up on this one year mark, depending on where you are in the country, as far as how the shutdowns originally rolled out. 
And I, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned, worried, burdened for the collective downward spiral that I think all the helpers are on too. Yes. We're there with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And again, I think we, we have it compounded. Uh, you know, I don't want to be walking in everybody's shoes. Um, it overwhelms me even to think about doing such a thing. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like I said, we're compelled to help. And mm-hmm. that's in our hearts to do, right? But but we're not filling up. There's nowhere to run. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere to, to go fill up. You yep. can't even take a little vacation, really. I mean, a lot of people are doing it, but what we normally do and frequently do, we're not able to do to help ourselves. I might add too, and I want your thoughts on this. Um, I, I think there's a lot of podcasters and really great resources trying to touch on this and unpack the idea that even if you can do it, so like for some people, vacations don't feel okay and safe. So like they can't do that as their thing that they do. But even some of the self-care and coping that we typically would do and still can do, I can think of a a myriad of things, even some basic daily stuff. It doesn't feel like it's working. It's not enough. It no longer kind of hits the mark. I hear a lot of people exploring that idea. I'm curious if you've seen that, felt that, you know, think that's probably true too. I absolutely do. I think that we you know, and I'm not going to pretend I have all the answers. I'll tell you what I think, what I've seen, you know, what's working, what isn't working. But but I agree. And I th- and I think it's a shocking surprise to most of us who are in this field that wow, even if we have these ways of coping, they're not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and there isn't one of us that I've talked to, and believe me, I talk to a lot of people. There's not one of us that isn't being touched by this. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, but it is, it's really a crisis in my opinion, because we're the helpers. We're here to mm-hmm. be helped. You know, we need to help ourselves too. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm going to say this. Um, so I jump in and I do things and then halfway through doing, doing that, that work that I was doing for, for frontliners, um, I thought midway through it, what have I done? <laughs> All of a sudden, not only, I mean, I really didn't know I, what I was headed for, mm-hmm. but, but it was enormous. It was national. It was all these things. And where was I going to find the energy to do all of that and just live my life and be a therapist and do all the other trainings and things that I do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think everybody's seen is yeah. their limitations, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, I've seen more and I, and I'm thankful for this, although we still have a conundrum of, um, resources, I think is the the bucket I'll put it in. Like we're in this conundrum of resources to get through this, but I have seen much more, um, of the helpers reaching out for help. I mean, I I know at our practice, there's just been an influx of, um, yeah. And, and, and I will say in our own practice, a lot of us have gone back to therapy. Like we've gone back and called our people up and said, I need to come back in. Um, I'll tell my own story, but like I, I did, I was like, okay, I'm coming back to EMDR. And I did last fall. Um, and it was fantastic because we, we did some very triaging 
siphon this stuff off type work, which was really helpful. Um, I know I have also been serving some helpers and it's been helpful for them. And when the pandemic first hit, I know our practice did uh, pro bono support groups that used some EMDR resourcing in them um, for uh, for first responders that we were doing online support groups, just helping, um, trying to help triage some of those. So I know that some of them are aware. I also know that some of them are still not. (laughs) And I, I know we all get that. What are you seeing in your work? Are you having a lot of helpers reach out to you? Are you, what I'm actually kind of curious what the humanitarian um, organization, what the response has been to COVID. Um, Cause that's so global. That's not like these, these one-off oh, type, yeah. you know, like I rem- I, I've been on your list to go serve with one of those and it's not quite worked out mm-hmm. where I could be a part of it in the Texas group. But I remember a hurricane response and I remember, mm-hmm. you know, the shootings and, this, this is everybody, you know? know, it's just a different animal. So, and you know, what's really interesting too, I find that there's not any research on collective trauma, you guys, not a lot, you know, I mean, really nothing like maybe five articles or something. I think this is going to be important work. I don't again, want to be doing gloom, but you know, I want to be prepared for something like this that could happen again. Right. How do we prepare ourselves for it? Not only us as therapists, but everybody, right? How do we do that? And yes, I have, I really have been pretty much up to my eyeballs in working with frontliners and things like that. So I sort of slowed down on my private practice in the effort to, you know, just so that I could, I wasn't inundated constantly. And um, so my practice, I've just kept the same people. I'm not accepting new people. And so they are, they're, they are all going through it, but we have a history and it's, it's easier. It's like a nice, comfortable relationship. You know how that is when you've had somebody around for a while. Uh, So that's nice, but I'll tell you, and I'm not sure again, if this is the question that you're asking, but when we were in the hospital systems, we saw uh, it helped, EMDR helped a lot. And People were excited about it initially. People were really interested in coming. We had it on site so that they could take, they could get it like literally right away if they wanted to or in a 15 minute break. So I had created a program that they could get 15 minutes, this, that, the other, you know, whatever their needs were. Because they, when are they going to stop? They were overworked, they were exhausted. And then pretty soon, and this is the truth, they started getting really mad. And it wasn't at us. It was mad because they were understaffed. It was mad because they didn't have choice. They were on their COVID units. It was mad because, you know, they thought this was going to be a one and done kind of thing. We'll get through the the first wave. Got it. You know, because that's usually what happens to us. It's a little bit like when people were going over to Afghanistan and, and, you know, Iraq. So having to do it repeatedly, then they quit coming. Because they were up to their little eyeballs. Mm. And even if they found it tremendously helpful, and many, many of them did. And it was interesting. uh, The surgeons of all of them seem to be the most, I think it's because they wanted something incisive, just like what they do. I'm going to cut that sucker out of there. Uh (laughs) You know, I don't know. But they utilized it the most. 
I thought that interesting. was interesting. Yes. I am yes. fascinated by that. Yeah, I thought so too. I was like, well, I mean, you know, it works. They know it. So whatever. Anyway, so I don't know again. Uh, did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. I mean, I can keep going. I just have so many more as we dialogue about this. I'm fascinated at the response over time. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, and I, I do understand it. I don't lack for empathy or understanding yeah. on it. I am fascinated by it, though. Um, I think that that's a pattern. I'm curious what you think, too, Kimberly. Like, I think even if it's working, people are tired of doing the work that's working. Yeah. I think that's a real thing right now. Like I was listening to you describe it. I'm like, so they said it would work, but they were tired of doing what works because we're just tired. Yes. Yeah. You hit it on the nail head. Yeah. And, 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 and again, I think we're all there. Yes. You know, it's like, uh, what am I going to do now? Okay. (laughs) You know, to try to find, you know, find our energy and the life. And and I say this again, since we're from Texas and hopefully this is not just too Texas based, but one would hope that if you had a week off for any reason that you would feel replenished. And, and um, I was joking with these guys before we started actually recording, but that was, you know, my husband and I were in bed at eight o'clock because it was so cold. And uh-huh. you think, okay, I'm well rested. I'm ready to go, you know, whatever. But no, I am still depleted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the truth. It likens to, for me, this whole idea of like, even though it's working, like I don't want to do it anymore. It reminds me a lot of um, when I work with really complex trauma cases that take a long time, the therapy fatigue that shows up. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. Like, I just want so badly to be done. I don't even want to do the thing that I know is working. Yes. Um, so It so does sound I, very similar. Can I just jump in and say something? It's like, that's burnout, you guys. Yes. You know, it is. It's burnout. And I and, and I kind of want to call it, you know, and I was a little hesitant to, to just admit that I'm feeling those things, you know, live on a podcast, but... But what you're just saying is exactly right. It's burn out. We are burnt to a crisp. And then uh-huh. how do you how do you get your energy back? You know, I do have all these little lists. I did a, a presentation for the Texas Lawyers Assistance Program, and anyway, um, and wrote a little article all about this a long time ago now. But I do have little steps. It's not going to be a surprise to probably anyone on these calls, right, or or this podcast, but. I do have some, maybe one will ring a bell for somebody or something, but anyway, yeah. How do we refuel? And I don't have the answer. We don't either. That's why we brought you on, Christy. <laughs> Come on. I know. I was telling Catherine, I said, I know about, about burnout and everything, but there's never, this isn't, again, the word unprecedented. So, oh my gosh. Well, well, but, but I have done some research. Okay, and I have done some thinking about what can turn hopelessness around um, burnout. And, and, you know, there's this whole whole long list. Let me see if you want. Would you like me to just tell you what, like, this is a way you can tell whether you're burnt out or not? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, here we go. Well, you all have heard the COVID-20. Have you heard that expression? (laughs) So the first thing on the list is 
starting to use food or alcohol or drugs to alter your states. And, you know, I don't know, we certainly hit it. This family did. <laughs> Anger, anxiety, apathy, uh, depression, diminished, diminished sense of personal accomplishment, exhaustion, physical or emotional, frequent headaches, gastrointestinal complaints, high self-expectations, hopelessness, hypervigilance, um, inability to maintain balance of empathy and objectivity, irritability, increase in startle responses. Um, this one makes me sad because not wanting to answer the phone. Hmm. Intrusive thoughts, less ability to feel joy, sleep disturbances, and then workaholism. Because those, I mean, I think that you guys are in this class of runners, which is, if I just keep going, I got to go. I just got to keep going. Oh, I absolutely fall in that category. Yeah. Yeah. So have I. Like crazy, you know? I so think for me, it's, I know it's wrong. I'll just tell you what my irrational thought process is. I'll confess okay. it on the air. And it's been real, like 2020 was supposed to be a pretty pivotal professional year for me. Yes. Whether that's happenstance or not, it just was, it got completely shut down. And so there's this part of me that it tells myself, I cannot let COVID win. And so I have to produce and achieve some part of these things that I was going to do so that like, I can feel okay about how I've weathered this or survived it or whatever. Like I yeah. definitely get tempted into the high expectations workaholic category yeah. on this for sure. Because that is like, well, that's my blankie. I mean, if I'm being honest, that's my psychological blankie. Like I, I will achieve something like that's just yeah. sort of how I work anyway. Yeah. So absolutely. Those two spoke to me. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad there's, you know, because I think that that's, a, it, it's going to be like that, you know, we're going to have to, well, that's what I was saying about the, the, the volunteer project that I started. It was like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I'll just get into double gear. And so really I had no rest. Do more. Yeah. Do more. I got to do something, you know? And it's like, no, how about I got to not do anything. Uh-huh. I kind of wouldn't mind sitting on the lump on the log and just kind of sniffing flowers and looking at the beautiful clouds and, you know, just rest. Kimberly, yeah. can you imagine me sniffing flowers and resting? <laughs> Sitting on a log? Uh, I think it would be really good for you. I know it would. I'm not very good at it. Let's make it I'm happen. terrible. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take pictures, you guys, and you can see Jenna. Okay. I'm not going to admit my log sitting. <laughs> well, um, Christy, as you talk, you're reading out that list. It, it's a list, I think, as helpers. I, I, I've been to CEUs on burnout and, um, you know, secondary trauma, stress, self-care, yeah. the ethics of that, right? But I think about it in this current context. So if one of you, you know, you, you guys are describing your experience with burnout, I could list, you know, probably 10 or 15 things on that list for myself. We would look at each other and go, okay, friend, what are you going to do? I'm going to challenge you, right? And you're going to, you're going to go take the vacation. You're going to uh, switch your schedule around as a clinician. You're going to go get some extra training to fill your brain and encourage you again. You're going to do something while 
you go through that list and it's limited for a lot of reasons for us, or you just, you know, that would be helpful, but you don't have the energy. And so I think that's where, and not that we'll come to all the answers today in our time together, but I want to start conjecturing because I think it's going to hopefully lead us to a, a better way of responding to this, because I think we have to think about that this context, you know, being so different than before it was, okay, helper, burnout, bad, let's go do something about that, right? Right, Um, right. step out, right? Right. And step out of the situation and go take care of it in in a way, right? And it's like, okay, we can't do that. What do we do? Exactly. We can't step out. I've heard so many helpers say, "I, I don't have the ability or time to be burned out even though I am, I can't even admit it. I can't look at it because, you know, we've got waiting lists coming out of, you know, we've got teams that we're leading who are, we're holding space for our own families, you know, you just how, when, what, where. So I'd be curious how, how do we get creative? How do we, what, what does it look like in this context, which is so parallel? We're all doing it in kind of parallel. Yeah. I think some of it too is the guilt that like, I can't be helpful to colleagues. And like, I see them and sometimes I have to disconnect because it's like, I can't be empathetic to you because I am also feeling that, which is a trigger for me. And then my body's flying off the handle because mm-hmm. my neurobiology is reacting to yours. And and then yeah. I then there's a guilt cycle and a shame cycle because I'm not supporting my people and, but I don't know how to support myself. And so I think we have to think differently about combating this mm. because the context is so different. I know it is. I, w- I want to add a layer too, that is, I think a complication, I think it pre-existed. I think it has been amplified by COVID and the pandemic, but for those who serve under poor leadership and would typically waltz in our office and we would talk through boundaries Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, boundaries just don't feel the same in a pandemic. I'm sure the principles still apply, but I'm really working through that. And like my middle name's boundaries. I like those. Yes. And we would start coaching through people like, well, hey, you know, what kind of boundaries do you need to have with your job? And you're what, and I am telling you some of the leadership that these people are sitting under and the systems mm-hmm. that they're in, this is not the same uh, decision-making tree that we're working through. And I, I don't believe in supporting a victim mentality, but I will tell you as a therapist myself, trying to work with some people, I'm going, I am also struggling coming up with ideas with you as to how to have boundaries in this circumstance, like the circumstances under some of the leadership and in the context of this and these systems is rough. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, yeah. It's what I was seeing at the hospitals. You know, and I used to be an administrator in a hospital, so I used to run about seven units of a, a hospital. Things I did not know about Christy <laughs> for 500. <laughs> anyway, so I know what that's like, and I know the the stress of it, and I know that you got to show up. And, you know, I mean, like if there this had happened, you wouldn't have left the hospital. And this not even COVID, this thing that we just went through, the weather, this weather. Mm-mm. Well, we wouldn't have been able to leave the hospital and we would expect be expected to work 24 hours and maybe take a little 15 minute nap and get yourself back out there on the unit. You know, that kind of a thing. 
And I, yeah. So how do you, how do you say they're there, make a boundary? Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, how? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that all of us are in there. So like I'm sitting, it's funny because one of my things is of course set boundaries, you know, and but again, probably, like I said, full disclosure, probably everybody's heard all of this in some point in their, their careers, but yeah, a, a couple of thoughts that I had too were maybe a little bit, well, not necessarily my own, but what I know that happens in anxiety is this question. Um, there's lots of what ifs. There are, you know, what do I do now? Or what's going to happen next? And we have a lot of uncertainty. And that was what was happening in the weather, right? All of us. We didn't know. When is the when is the electricity going to come on? And we Absolutely. had heard occasionally that the about the brownouts, you know, people were, you know, rolling brownouts. Well, we never got one, you know, where I was like, well, oh, that would be nice if we even just got a little electricity for a little bit of time. But there's that sort of the unknown. What's going on here? When is this going to be over? What's it going, What's our life going to be looking like? And when you start thinking so globally, that is one thing I believe that really gets us down because we start getting like hit by all these possibilities and the unknown. And so I try to bring things back down to what do you know? What can you do? And this is, again, nothing brilliant or new. But sometimes the next, and they in, in AA, they call it do the next right thing. Yeah. And from that one little tiny step of doing the next right thing, and it might just be getting a bubble bath if you have water and electricity. <laughs> but but it might be, I mean, you know, and then I've heard, I, I've had so actually some of my patients say to me, Christy, um, I decided like you, what you just said, I'm going to get out of this having something to show for it, mm-hmm. but not in a, you know, a kind of hit my fist, kind of a hammer, kind of a way more like, what do I want to do? Okay, let's look at this. And so some of them are painting, taking painting classes virtually. Um, I know my husband and I, my sister retired and she became a yoga teacher. She was a top salesperson for um, an international bank. You know, she was top person. Now she's a yoga instructor. And we're all kind of going, really? I love that so much. Yeah, I know. She's totally from this drive person to this, oh, namaste. (laughs) Anyway. She's giving us free classes over the yoga, you know, over the internet yoga, and we're loving it. And Hmm. that I hated yoga before because I've always been a hit it hard kind of a athlete. You know, I got to go hundred miles on my bike. That's it. If anybody can understand that, but, um, you know, so you push, push, push or yoga, Oh, relax and stretch and you know, all of that. So anyway, but um, what I'm describing or attempting to is that maybe we can do little things that are joyous or that make our little bodies feel good. It doesn't have to be this total revamp of we got to fix it. You know, I've actually wondered. So when I have worked with, with people, the things that we have been able to tangibly get our thoughts and emotions around doing um, in this season have been very much so going back to the basics you know, it's things like, can you drink enough water today? Can you hit your water goals? Can you, how many hours of sleep are we getting? And, and we are still having to very much so fight for those. 
but it's interesting because they are the uh, most reasonably accessible goals in this season for self-care. It's almost like I find that people are more open to doing those. I think those have always been on our list as counselors mm-hmm. and mental health professionals. Like, let's yeah. just take care of our bodies, right? But yeah. people hated those. They were like, oh, okay, give me something else, you know? But now it's like, this really is the only thing I can do while I'm at work to take care of myself is to just make sure I hit my water my water goals or just to make sure I eat the right snacks or to, that's all I can do is protect the amount of sleep I'm getting. So I... In some weird way, I find people more open to those than they've ever been. That's interesting. I think so too. And they're actually generating it for themselves, you know? And yep. I've even had, I mean, it's, I, I feel like it's about creativity also. Like, how do you set your spirit free? You know, how do you do the things that fill you, that bring you joy? Mm-hmm. How, you know, and how do we do that in a pandemic? And how do we do that if we're, all day long living in a pandemic and then helping people who are in a pandemic. It's almost like to infinity. Right. Um, but, but I, but I do believe that if we take the smaller steps, you know, and, and I'm, and because I'm doing some of that myself, which I did not choose to do, by the way, I did, I mean, I didn't go like, okay, I'm going to look for something. My sister just called one in yoga class. <laughs> yeah okay um so those she kind knew of, she, she knew yeah that those the things that i'm doing are change uh, changes that just came to me i was not the author of them huh. interestingly enough aside from my water i put strawberries in my water now three strawberries and 22 ounces and it makes it taste delicious you drink your water that way i'll tell you <laughs> i love it <laughs> oh dear I also, you were saying, you were talking about like, what's, well, you didn't say this. This is my summarization of what you said. Like what's possible has changed, right? I also think if you had asked me what brings me joy pre-pandemic and during the pandemic, my answers have changed. So like, so what is meaningful for me is not the same answer. Interesting. I don't think. I'm I'm like processing in the moment here, but I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't think what I would do to play and have joy and be, have meaning is the same. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think that that's been something that's happened to us that we're evolving in many ways, especially in the beginning, right? It's a little bit like the cold. Well, you start getting kind of tired of it. And even, you know, the the pandemic stuff, you fatigue, right? COVID fatigue mm-hmm. for everybody. But I, so it's really caused so many of us to stop and go, you know, in many ways, this can could possibly be a blessing. I know we've lost people. I know it's really pretty terrible. And when you get to be my age, it's kind of like, wait, you're impinging on the last years of my life here. And I wanted to be traveling. We were supposed to be traveling, you know, and, and where you can't not because of our age, right? And the possibilities. But, but it's reevaluation. I like what you said a lot, Jenna. I think some things that I miss are more meaningful. I think what I would do on a daily basis has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to formulate a question about my nervous system as I'm thinking about this, because I think my nervous system needs something different in this time, but I haven't found my question yet. You know, I'm going to say this and I'll let you uh, ponder your question, but 
again, that's such a good point. And I, and, and it resonates with me so deeply because yeah, I can be doing yoga and yoga is fantastic, but my nervous system is still jacked up. No matter, I mean, the minute I'm out of yoga, you know, I could go take a nap because you're so relaxed. It's such a lovely, the, the way that she's doing it for us. Yeah. But, but my nervous system doesn't ever come off, you know, line, right? Not right now, not in COVID, not in what we're doing for work. And, um, and so I thought about, I, I just have to say, my first thought was, I'm gonna put my little machine by my bed. And when I wake up at night, going like, uh, you know, with a little bit of anxiety, or just whatever it may be, think going through my little noodle, hooking myself up. Okay, you're gonna have to explain what you mean by hooking yourself up for our listeners. We know they don't know. <laughs> they don't know the things. What is Christy hooking herself up to? And <laughs> how funny! Thank you for. I mean, my little machine's by my bed too, but like they don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, <laughs> what I meant was I have an EMDR machine right by my bed, so I, I can put. And when I say hook it up, because it's electrical, you have to hold these little paddles in your hands and have earphones and eye movements or whatever. So if I turned that on at night, it would affect my nervous system. Because we know that that's what it does. It, it, it calms the nervous system. It yep. changes perception. You know, and I hate to admit this too, but my therapist retired. <gasps> How dare she? How dare she? Like that, I would feel like, oh, <laughs> no. That hit on my attachment wounds. I do not I like think I feel abandoned. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, well, you know, couldn't be happier for them. But I, but anyway, yeah. so, but not for me, you know, obviously. So, so, yeah. That's so, hard. Yeah, it's been hard. Um, but, but anyway, just going back to that idea that like even more, you know, self-care, just hook yeah. yourself up to the EMDR machine. If you have one, if you're a therapist and you and, know what you're doing and you know what you're doing. And remember, we only do this after many years of having had our own work done and knowing EMDR right. very well. Correct. Right. You know, um, we've had, and I'm, I, I'll just, own this is not the original intent probably completely of this resource, but Gary Brothers put his drum beats on his website. Oh, he did. Mm-hmm. Cool. The GABA releasing rhythm is on there. And oh. I'm telling you what, I got people eating it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because mm-hmm, it's so helpful cool. for their nervous system. And some of them don't like the drums and they have found bilateral alternating spa music on you know, YouTube and it is very, very slow. And, you know, I've taken a look at it, but they just swear by it right now. Cause it's the only thing, very few things that will bring them down uh, day, by day, really by cool. day by day by day by mm-hmm. day. Well, that's a very good thing of, of him to do. He is very generous. Oh yeah. He's that's very generous good. for sure. Yeah, I think the difference between burnout, I'm going back to the nervous system. Help me, Kimberly. The difference between burnout and crisis is like crisis has this end in sight. It just doesn't feel like there's an end in sight. And then burnout is this, I've just, you know, the 
rule of thumb with burnout is it takes a long time to recover from it. It's, it's not a short recovery. Um, and we're not out of the crisis yet. So like the nervous system for a hundred reasons is just not coming down. So the way you attend to it is just different right now. Yes, I agree. Well, and I think crisis, and I used to teach this when I would, would teach um, my trauma class, we, we talk about the difference between, because you hear all these words, right? Crisis, trauma, um, I mean, you'll hear, go, go into any, middle, go into any middle school and they're like, I'm having a trauma today. And it very well might be a trauma. It might not be um, and yeah. so like, we, you know, just defining it. But I think about the definition of trauma and it's something that overwhelms you. It's beyond your capacity to cope. Oftentimes can have a life or death element to it. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, you know, a disease that could kill you give you long-term effects that could make you miserable. A health crisis is traumatic, you know, um, being yeah. exposed to grief and death around us, um, you know, and so it almost becomes this trauma context that we're in and feels a little bit like a wartime reality, mm-hmm. uh, things that I feel like I've only seen on on movies. And so I think part of my personal process has been frustrated with, like, I'm a little stressed or burned out feels like it feels like a minimization of my experience when I'm like, no, I feel like it's a collective trauma. Mm-hmm. But then I know that, you know, we're all probably going to dis- describe it differently, define it differently. And that that's true of a trauma. You can have a natural disaster. You can have an event and someone would say, oh, it's a crisis because this was my experience. And someone else would say, this is a trauma. Um, and not all traumas lead to post-traumatic stress disorder or nervous system or health issues, but, um, you know, I think just defining it for me personally then helps me know what to do, you know, because I've had seasons of burnout before. And so then we, you know, we've got the burnout, we've got the contextual dynamics, but then sometimes it's like, this just feels like more than that, you know? And so I, I agree. I really do. I feel like it is, you know, kind of goes back to being in the same soup with everybody mm-hmm. so that it's not just singular, it is collective, right? Mm-hmm. So we're feeling everyone. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, I, I wonder, we just have channels, right? Ding, ding, we can like fiddle with the radio. And, and for those of us who are therapists, we, and I'm not trying to make a special or anything, but I think part of our gift is to feel, to feel others, mm-hmm. to notice change, to, and so here we are constantly out in the world, like an empath, you know, if anybody watched Star Trek or, you know, mm-hmm. and you pick stuff up, and we are, we're in this big soup of COVID. Yeah. And I, and I keep talking and it makes me, I feel like I'm sounding like a, you know, kind of like, woe is, woe is us. But um, I think that's what we're trying to struggle through. Yeah. Is this reality. Yeah. And I think we have to, in order to get to solutions and hope, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and my hope is that there's some really good research that comes from this, that we find better definitions that we find true and lasting ways to address the multi-aspect human experience, the neurobiology, the relational, the emotional, like that, that is my hope. But I think you have to start with getting messy and naming the problem, 
naming yeah. the challenges, defining your variables, if you will, if you want to kind of talk research language, like what are we doing with? Um, That's why you'd want a new word. Yeah. That's why I want a new word to be able to figure out. the words feel sufficient. Mm-hmm, solution, mm-hmm. you know. I guess, and I stop and I think about what you're saying, and I, and and I realized, really, only by talking about it with you guys today, that I realized the little things like doing that yoga class, um, are what is giving me hope. Mm. It is actually, it really is, and it's uh, kind of. Yeah, giving me hope in a lot of different ways. It's, you know, those of you who don't know me, with the accident that I had in my, in not being able to move uh, for a time, it, it, knowing I can move my body is giving me a, mm. additional, you know, hope. And then, I don't know, there's something that's growing inside of me. I can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it, it kind of hit a rough patch in the fall, but last summer for me in all the lockdown and whatnot, um, I actually experienced a lot of hope in that. Now, summers are a good rhythm for my family generally because I'm married to a teacher. Um, nice. So I like that rhythm a lot. And I don't like the heat, but I like the rhythm. Yeah. And so my self-care and it was just the basics, but it went up a whole lot. And so I was feeling very good in that season. It totally crashed and burned when we had to figure out the fall in the continued new COVID school online. I mean, just crazy. But yeah, I feel like the season of when I reflect on the last 12 or so months, like the season that has felt the most okay was when I could take, just do the basics. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I have some health challenges and I was doing really well with those. Wow. That's what, that's what you're, you're telling your story and connection kind of triggered for me was, yeah, that's actually when that felt the best is when I was able to like manage my health conditions really mm-hmm. well in that season that made me feel hopeful. But I mean, everything else could have been falling apart, but that felt good. And so I was able to do that. Good. Yeah, and I think what you guys are both describing, I mean, I don't know if you would define this or if it's just my own imposter syndrome, but, you know, I hear, like, attend to your neurobiology, and then I just kind of flood with, like, I don't know how to do that. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. Um, When it's, okay, no, your body and somatic being just your senses, right? So taking a walk in the summer evenings when it's lighter, longer, moving your body through yoga, drinking water. Standing up two more times than you would have throughout the day, hugging a loved one, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Uh, Just so simple, but so powerful. Um, That's, you know, that's that healthy neurobiological stuff that I think I hear you guys talking about, which keeping it simple gives us some hope too. One, it helps with the decision fatigue, but then it actually is doing something. Yes. That's the other thing. I mean, so I'm a little chefy and I love, I go grocery shopping every day for whatever it is I feel like eating and I have to see the food to make the decision about what am I going to cook. And so, I mean, I have a lot of, Oh, it sounds so European when you tell that story. I'm just going to go shop for the day and like make my meal. Yeah. That's what I, I mean, that's been my whole life. Well, well, you can't do that right now, you know? And so I'm going to have, that's a big loss. 
Yeah, yeah, it is. But also, guess what's happened? I don't want to cook. I don't want to shop. I don't want to think about what's for dinner. Because you have decision fatigue. Decision fatigue. Is it not? Okay, this is going to come off so wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. And y'all just like bought me through the screen. <laughs> I I totally identify with what you guys are describing as far as decision fatigue. I mean, Kimberly, you know it because you and I work together on all the time. And I'm like, I just can't. Can you decide? I just can't. So it's very real for me. And I have at the end of the day gone, what the heck? Why do I have decision fatigue doing a whole lot of nothing? Like, I don't really understand why I'm so, and that's not true, but I do this little shame spiral where I'm like, I'm doing a whole lot less in my life and I'm tired of making decisions. But I know that that I'm saying that because I've, even as a knowledgeable trained person, know better. And I have struggled through that. So I'm putting it out into the space to dialogue and unpack why that's not helpful. Cause I know other people are struggling, struggling with it. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, the basics became harder, you know, like Christy's talking about running to the grocery store. Cause that was so fun. You know, you're out of milk becomes, well, what if I get COVID and if I get COVID and yeah. what if I'm out of work and what there if we go. lose revenue and what do we do with the kids and where are they going to go to school? And what about childcare and what can he, my husband sustain it if I'm in the back bedroom quarantined and how are my babies going to be in their emotional health if they can't be attached to me for 14 days? I mean, that's what it's the I domino mean. effect of decision making that we carry yes. the mental load. Oh, oh my gosh, this is so great because I'm thinking about this is how I describe to my husband that and this has been going on and and I think even pre-COVID, but but worse. So exactly, I can't do this because of that, but we need to get this done, but we can't because of this. And so you're going, you're sort of chasing your tail because there's nothing that can get done or either easily. Like it used to be, you can make a call, you got something taken care of, boom. You know, and, and, and it seems to me that it takes 10 steps. And I'm not alone here. I mean, I've been having this conversation with every 10 steps to get one thing done. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there's some sort of a delay. I mean, I just don't understand all of it. But then it makes more sense, doesn't it? Because like if you're never answering the questions or never being able to make a decision because one thing con- is contingent on another then that's just simply exhausting. And don't ask me what we're eating for dinner because I can't make that decision after everything I've been through this today in my head. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just saying like, no, don't. I look at my husband and be like, just don't. Don't ask me what we're eating. (laughs) I have actually said that to my husband. I'm like, you've got to make some decisions about what we're eating. (laughs) (laughs) I've done it for all these years. It's so true because I even think about we, we, we pulled off a dentist appointment today <laughs> just oh, because you need to know this about my life. Yeah. And like, we haven't been doing any of the regular appointments nor unless we absolutely had to, and we needed to do this one. And so, but I remember what had, and it was both my husband and I working through it because he, I'm self-employed. He's an educator. He has PTO, but it is extremely small amount of PTO. We've been Every time we have to make a decision that one of us has to take off, we're having to make any, a huge decision about, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Do we use your paid time off? Do I lose revenue for this? Do I, and it's all in this context of COVID, which makes it a very intense decision. Anytime we need to do anything, anything. Yes. 
That's really true. Think about the holidays. Well, are we going to do anything with our family? Well, so-and-so, um, so my grandchild's school, they sent them home because somebody at school had COVID in, in her class. And so then, well, we can't go. Yeah. We can't go because we're older. My husband's more at risk than I am, but I'm at risk too. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you have to go through all these machinations to see what the outcome of all of the behaviors <laughs> You know, who thinks about those kinds of things? We usually say, I'm going to the store. See ya. <laughs> going to make a decision about dinner. Later. Of course I'm going to the holidays. Of course we're doing X, yes, Y, no, never had to spend time in a dream do that. Right. No questions asked. No, it's not a big del- deliberation. Wow. Let me move that back into the helpers. Okay. People can't do their jobs the way they used to. That's right. They're helping jobs. They have decision fatigue about everything. Um, I know for those on our team that have decided to return to the office, there are screening and cleaning protocols that they now had to consider in their schedules. Yes. Even as an online therapist, which I've continued to choose to be uh, completely online, there's all this decision tree about well, what platform am I using? Does that platform work for EMDR? Does it not work for EMDR? I've got to have two platforms. If I lose connection with you, I've got to have this phone number. What if the internet goes down? I got to write the phone number down. I've got to like, I, you know, so it, this is true. I, and I'm just talking about our field. I don't even know what that, I, I, I can't imagine being in hospitals, the PPE gear. Kimberly, I know you have a family member in medical and just what they were having to do on a daily basis, which is like not normal. And so our decision fatigue in our in our helper roles is nuts yeah yeah okay so we don't have clean answers but let's let's try to conjecture and figure out like what do we need to try is that the right question maybe we don't know what to do but what do we need to try (laughs) Well, I want to tell you what I have on my list. And again, it's probably nothing that new, but I kind of, I mean, we've talked about some of them, um, but it just, there's one exercise that I like a whole lot. And that is to wake up for five minutes. And this is of course unheard of because we're not rushing off to to class or to say school to um, the office, right? You don't have to set an alarm. I mean, you just wake up and slowly, it, I'm telling you, I don't ever want to do anything differently than that. Spend all these years getting up at 4.30, going to exercise, blah, 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 you know, it's like, no, not going to do that again. But but starting and just assessing how's my body, what do, what, what, I, what, what do I want to do today? What would be mm. a good thing for me to do? You know, so that's one of the things on my list, okay? Replenishing, if you can, it's harder these days, I don't know, but here, I'm just talking about walk, a walk in nature, whatever. Um, yeah. You know, play with your dog. I love dogs and cats, all animals, but whatever. Um, connecting with somebody daily, and that we've already kind of covered that one. Mm-hmm. Unplug. How about that one? For those oh, of us yeah. who have a dang day, right? Yep. 
uh, setting boundaries with a big old no. I, I had one of my friends told me to write a big no on a piece of paper, on a pad of paper, so that every time somebody would ask me, Christy, can you do this? Or would you like, you know, whatever, whether it was social or more work. <laughs> let me just look. Oh, oh, that, no. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a reminder. Just write it at the top of all no. of your planner days. No. no. I have no, no right here. No. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. I love it. So no, saying no. And then cultivating your creativity, which I love. Um, and the other ones are, you know, kind of everything again we get, we heard. So get support, blah, blah, blah. Go on a wellness retreat. Ha <laughs> ha. Laugh. Now I have to tell you something happy. My husband and I laugh every day, a thousand times a day. Yeah. Uh, it's, I just love it. And it, it it's, there's nothing better than laughing. But anyway, what were you going I to say? I think you're right. No, I think yeah. you're right. Well, the Nagatsky sisters in their recent book about burnout, they talk about closing the stress cycle. And one of the things on their list is laughter. Yep. Because of what it's doing. Real laughter. Like real laughter. Yeah. Not like, <laughs> you know, pit, pit, pity laugh, you know? Pity like laughter. Real yeah. like belly laughing. So finding the things yes. that get your funny bone and get you really tickled. I have a really dark uh-huh. sense of humor. So my husband and I pass around, you know, YouTube videos or gifts <laughs> or whatever back and forth, you know. Um, oh. Our little baby recently found her giggle box. And so, like, nothing will make you laugh harder than trying to get get to laughter so she'll mirror you because then that, yeah. that makes you giggle so oh my gosh, yeah awesome. no I think laughter is awesome yeah. yeah 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 I think I think laughing is an easy one um if if you can if you can get there I need I, that needs to be my goal daily with with my husband we laugh a lot but I'm not, I don't know if I can say it's quite daily so yeah. I need to go yeah. for daily. So go daily sit on a log and smell a flower and laugh, Jenna. Like, and laugh. That's, that's your goal. Anybody who knows me personally is dying at this image. Just dying. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I have to say this one thing about laughter. They had This came from India where they would have laughing groups. Stop it. Yes. Laughing groups. And, and you start out like, you know, just kind of going, ha, ha, ha. You know, like that or whatever, right? Okay. And then all of a sudden, what starts to happen is the legitimate real laughs come up where people are bending over, tearing, crying. They're laughing so hard. It is so much fun. I've tried it. So if nothing else, I mean, seriously, because you just, you you start laughing at the silliness of it all and you can't stop. And then it's real. Yeah. And that's real. Yeah. Well, didn't Coke recently did Coca-Cola did a commercial. They hired a guy yes. and he's on this train. I'm assuming somewhere in some big city like Chicago or New York or something. And he's reading something and he's been hired. He's an actor, but he starts laughing like belly, like belly laughing. And the whole train, they're all just looking. And before you know it, they're all, in they're all laughing, giggling, oh. laughing, like stomach hurting laughter yes and so that's that's, what I'm talking about I think yeah and isn't that what have I mean I'm just gonna assume very gently that you guys got the giggles when you were kids in a group like isn't that the same dynamic it's I you know it's our it's our nervous systems and mirror neurons and everything getting stirred up in this good way and it's just contagious yes yes okay I'm hosting a laughing group that one I'm down right 
I mean, that would be one easy thing to do. And at first, you know, it's it's kind of embarrassing because like, you know, you're just being silly, making laughing sounds or whatever. So it's a little embarrassing, but then it just turns into this delicious laughter. It's so fun. Okay. You're stepping in something, Christy, really beautiful because being silly. So as sex therapists, oh. we know, and we talk about that being silly and playful is one of the most vulnerable states. And so not only does that feeling silliness is just sort of a natural part of the progression towards laughter, which we're talking about can close the stress cycle, but I, I'm, I feel like I'm going to gently assume that there is a, a level of vulnerability and connection that starts to show up to be in the presence with other people. And we're connecting with our brains in this and we're choosing vulnerability because we're choosing to be silly in front of each other. Wow. So there's a lot there, I think. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, how beautiful, right? And sort of like a choice. But who doesn't long for that? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, really, for that kind of a belly laugh? Who doesn't long for that kind of connection? You're sitting there, you're crying, you're laughing so hard. You are connected to that person. There's nothing more fun. Yeah. Or intimate, I guess, you know, I mean, well, sex maybe, but I don't know, you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, I think the vulnerability and the connection and the intimacy and the relief and the pleasure. I mean, I'm just thinking of all those good words. Yeah. Okay. Laughing circles. This is what, this is happening. Wouldn't that be so cool to have that go across the whole nation? Yeah. Yeah. Like you go to the park and you hook up with a, a laughing circle. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I love that so much. <laughs> Let's get out there. That'd be so great. I would love that. Okay. So I love that a lot. I don't know of anything else, you guys. I mean, if we're supposed to be the answer bugs, I don't have it. I actually think that that might be the validating statement for the helpers. I think we need to give ourselves permission to say that we're in this too. And it's not that we're not going to show up as best we can and serve as best we can. Yeah. But I do think reality is our best friend. And I think in the nature of being a helper, we sometimes struggle to admit that we don't have the answer. I also am hurting. We're all out of gas and we'll do the best we can in this. And I, I think that actually might be, I don't know, the action, the validation that is needed in this for everybody that's serving. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Just being real about it, going kind of back to this idea of each other. And, you know, again, not new, brilliant insights, but but just like that yoga uh, class. So we get to be together. And, and my family is strung, you know, all over the place. And, and so we don't do that very often. And especially not since COVID where we get together frequently, we laugh, we like, I'm a laugh person. And, um, and so we miss it, you know, we miss, and every Easter we're at my one sister's house and, you know, it kind of goes like that. Well, all these rituals and stuff are not there. However, Mm -hmm. we have the ability, you know, reaching out, touching, having 
you know, having the opportunity to, to, and making the time to do it. That's a, that's a commitment, but I'll tell you, it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. I know my family fought really hard, um, to kind of become a little bit of a quarantine pod from the jump. And and it's been really helpful for us, um, all the way around. It is, it is hard, isn't it? Because that's what we've done too. And people think I'm crazy and that I'm, you know, that kind of thing, but, and actually even have been publicly shamed. (laughs) Um, So, so have I and my family. I, I, Mm -hmm. I, but we did that because, well, our belief is that it it just exponentially ripples really fast. So it was, it was pretty all or nothing a little bit. Um, And so we, we all, kind of got on the same page about that early on and it's been very hard mm-hmm. very hard on um on some of my family members and it's broken my heart mm-hmm. um and I'm thankful for everyone's commitment within our family because we have had access to each other yeah lots of snuggles and cuddles and touch and oh sweet connection mm-hmm Well, Christy, there are two questions that we ask at the end of every interview. So here's the first. What would you like the audience to take away from our conversation today? What do you want to leave them with? Oh, I I think maybe that no one has the answers, Mm. but, uh, but that, but hope grows in these tiny, tiny little places. And healing grows in these tiny, tiny little places, so it doesn't have to be a grand gesture. Mm-hmm. And even maybe trying a laughing circle just by yourself could Am become. I, not? I don't know. You know what I mean? Look at yourself in the mirror or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna try it out. I'll get back to you. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's all. That's the only thoughts that I have, other than it's been such a delight to be with you guys. Final question for you. What, what was your takeaway from our conversation today? What are you taking from this time? For me, well, you know, that I've been having insights along the way and just talking about all of this, right. And just being vulnerable and open. Um, and really, I, I mean, I know this is going to sound probably a little passe or something, but um, it, it, being with you guys uh, has has helped me. It feels really good, and it just it's sort of underscoring the isolation we have been in, admittedly because we have to be and that kind of thing. But just to be with you and to laugh a little and to just be together, it's it's been really uh, heartwarming and kind of filling. It, it filled me up. Yeah. Oh, it's so totally that's great. Ah, same for me. This has been so good. Yeah, before we started recording, we all were chatting about the like we literally sat with each other the week before the shutdowns happened in Texas. Face to face and brainstormed and dreamed and had fun and consulted and then the shutdowns happened. So yeah, like sitting seeing your face today has been meaningful for me. Oh, so thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Christy. You're so welcome. It's all we're gonna bring you back to talk about EMDR. Okay, I'll be happy to do that. That can do it in my sleep. I know answers there. I know you can. (laughs) All right, you guys. Thank you. 
sending you kisses and I hope you hope you just we all make it through this and better people for it. Yes. Yes. Okay, that was great. She is um so full of wisdom, so kind. Oh gosh, so kind. One of my favorite things about Christy outside of her general brilliance is her voice. I can just sit there and listen to her talk. She has a very unique (laughs) tone and tenor to her voice that is just comforting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this topic was hard today. I found myself having tears in my throat at times and feeling the weight of what we were talking about. Um, So I'm just very thankful for her. Curious, uh, what was your takeaway? I think um, the power of community, you know, we didn't come, we didn't come to any answers. I I knew we wouldn't, but I think there, I I feel hopeful um, as I sit with other clinicians who are um, brilliant and wise and also sitting in the tension of not having the answers for what to do with this massive struggle called burnout, um, in the current context that we're in. Um, but feeling hopeful that, um, that we might get there with more conversations like this, you know, I think we might even, even sometimes just in accepting we're all there in a lot of ways we're there together. We can also be there in different ways and still be so supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that, I think that helps with burnout. Um, it's just to know that we're not alone, you know, as, as helpers being on the front lines and that kind of thing. And so that, that's something huge that I take away. Um, and then I'm just always encouraged and inspired with when I come away from any conversation with Christy, because though, you know, we've spoken to her kindness, there is a kind of grounded wisdom and honesty that, um, helps me just selfishly. I feel really regulated when I get around her again. And so there's just like that. I take that away to just in her kindness, she, she still holds to just uh, wisdom and groundedness and sitting in complexity really well. And just kind of some acceptance while also having her boundaries to where she needs to be and what she needs to do for herself, for her family, for her practice, you know? And so, um, Again, just take away what I always take away from Christy, and that's just um, some really healthy perspective and just feeling very um, encouraged um, from her presence and and just the ability to go, I don't know, we'll have to see. But even in that, I, I feel a little more hope, you know. What would you say your takeaway is? There were kind of two... Well, one bucket and then maybe one specific takeaway. I don't know. I have I have more than one. Go figure. Um, <clears throat> one of them specifically about the burnout. Um, and you and I have talked about exhaustion before. That I think was helpful to name, maybe. Maybe it was about awareness and naming in this episode for me. Um there are things that I technically know and I have knowledge in my head and cognitively, but there's, there's another type of knowing where it is becoming 
fully aware and being present in the moment. And I feel like this was a very in the here and now conversation with Christy um, about these struggles that I think everybody is having um, as helpers. And so for me, one of those things was just being honest with the reality that what used to work doesn't always work for me, us anymore. And that's not a sign to quit. It's a sign to get, it's an invitation to get creative. And it's hard to be creative when you are burnt out and exhausted, exhausted. Like we know that to be true. And so we have to kind of dig deep. And so I felt, I think one takeaway for me is the felt invitation to try to rest and continue to be creative with how to recover because I don't want, I don't want to stop. And I need to acknowledge that what has always worked for me is not really as effective in this season. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I, that I feel is maybe more poignant for me and I, we don't do video on purpose, um, <laughs> but there was a moment there at the end of the interview when we were talking about, I mean, we were willing to ask the hard question, although I think there was a felt sense for all of us that we did not know the answer. It was like, what do we do? Where do we go? And I think, you know, I could see y'all's faces and you could see mine there was a somberness to us putting into the space, the answer, I don't know. Yeah. I also think that we were being humble and honest and forthright with our, I don't know. It was not dissociative or dismissive of the conversation we were trying to have. I think honestly, I'm going to say, I think it takes a lot of leadership on our part, self-leadership and other leadership for those of us who lead teams to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And to still, to still be in it with yourself and with everyone else and say, I don't know what the answer is, but we have to keep looking for one. That is a level of clarity that doesn't necessarily feel very certain. Um, But I do think it was a poignant moment for me in the conversation. It was validating. It was honest. It was humble. It was somber. And I think those moments are important too. And that's what we're, that's what we're here to do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. And edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcasts on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain.